0: Yo, what's up, everybody? This is Jerome Thornton representing Virtual Hustle Radio. What's good? Uh, today, we're going to be talking about, you know, the African-American community and how we are going to shape the next generation. Um, of course, everybody has heard, always heard of the term for reparations and what has happened in the past and saying that this country was built on our back. And um, I have to agree, no doubt about it, this country has been built on our back and we have given a lot um, via through slavery, uh, through redlining, the civil rights movement, um, industrialism, even ideas, you know, such as um, like the steam engine, telephone, navigation, a whole lot of different things. And, um, these are things that we could talk about and and boast about, but, you know, I think that we need to figure out what's going to be best for us in the future and how are we going to reshape the United States and the world as we know it. Of course, there is a lot of creativity, especially on the entertainment side, and I think that's to be plausible. Um... We could entertain the world, but you know, are we gonna be who's gonna be the next Mark Zuckerberg? I mean, have we ever really seen an actual product like that that physically and mentally, as well as socially, change the world? Me, myself personally, I think that we should focus on the more digital age things as far as applications, um, computer advancement as far as um, communication is concerned. But I also wanted to actually go back and just pretty much focus on economics. I'm a very, very huge fan of Booker T. Washington and what he talked about and also Killer Mike. And what he talks about, you know, about how everybody should be able to shoot a gun, um, to have a garden and to empower yourselves economically and pull yourselves up by the bootstrap. And, you know, what? to be honest, I think the only way that we move forward and to save the United States, because at this point in time, it's no doubt about it, we are in a dire straight scenario. I think African-Americans can do it. And I think that we have been doing this over and over again each year, even in the years of depressions, you know, specifically 2008, 2009, leading in 2010, African-Americans, even though our unemployment rate was almost 50 percent higher than our counterparts, we still manage to spend everyone else. And right now, our trillion, I mean, our buying power is in the trillions. And I think that that's something to say for an actual group of people that has I wouldn't say began to see the potential, but is learning That there are other ways to actually funnel our money. I hear so many times people comparing us to why can't we be like the Asians? Why aren't we more like, you know, the Jewish community? Why aren't we more, you know, disciplined such as Caucasians? And I think that, you know, all of this is foolish. It's foolishness to for us to continue to compare ourselves and look at what other people do and say, Maybe we should do that, or maybe we should be, you know, doing things like the um, American Asians that come over, you know, whether they're from India or, you know, different parts of the Orient, or, you know, maybe we should be more like Italians and different things. You know, I just think that we should be who we are, but I also think that we should be financially responsible, but I don't want to get off topic because this is not a cultural show, um, you know, as far as expounded upon other ethnicities. Um, There's going to be three things that I'm going to highlight today that would get us and propel us into the next generation um, and also pretty much will save the United States. Um, And this is just how I feel. Um, And when I say save the United States, I'm speaking, I'm strictly speaking off of a number one, a production scenario. Number two, a, uh, a revenue scenario and number three, a tax scenario. And um, number one is, is for everyone Well, I, I wouldn't say everyone because this is not for everyone, but for, I would say one in 10 people to have African Americans to have a strong foundation and a thriving business. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that that person can employ from anywhere from one to five people and every month for five years straight that they're in the black, regardless as if it's, it's $15,000, 20000 or 200000 What that's going to do is, is that's going to lower unemployment, that's going to provide income to the community, and also it's going to do what? Increase the amount of tax revenue that's given to that specific community or municipality town, or city. Okay? Number two. Buy a home. I'm not talking about a $400,000 house. I'm not talking about or a plot of land. I'm saying whatever you do, stop renting and start owning your own place to live. Why is this important? Number one for the black family it's gonna be, be a solid foundation. It's gonna be generational wealth that can be passed down from generation to generation. Number two, what it's also gonna do is it's gonna increase the, the actual value of the home that's in that community. And number three, as a result of that, what's this gonna do? It's gonna provide an actual option for another source of tax revenue for that municipality. It's a win all the way across the board. Number three, invest. And when I say invest, I'm speaking about into opportunity-based scenarios, such as I'm not speaking about the hedge fund. I'm not speaking about the uh, Fortune 500 or, you know, I'm speaking about ground-level companies. Now, I bet somebody is saying, now how in the world is that going to help the United States and how is that going to help African-Americans? I'm glad that you asked. The reason why is because whenever you invest in a business in its fetal stage, if that business is, if it ends up going to the next level and you're in, and you're in it from the beginning, then your wealth is going to just enormously grow. Five thousand times. Okay. And it comes and it trickles back down. There's going to be generational wealth that's passed down from the person who invested to the family. And as a result of that, it's going to create tax from all the way from the top, all the way to the bottom. And as a result of this, this is going to be a, a recycling of prosperity, ownership, and taxes, revenue, to the United States, to the local municipality, okay? And as a result of that, that's what's going to happen. Those tax dollars are going to go back. They're going to be recycled into the community. And now all of a sudden, we won't have to be worried about these parks, these schools, and different things such as that, if used correctly, all right? So at this point in time, this is another short take of Virtual Hustle Radio. My name is Jerome. Thank you guys again. Please, 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 if you want to have your business, or if you even if you want to have an interview with me, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at virtualhustle77 at gmail.com. Again, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in, and uh, we definitely do look forward to hearing from you all again. Have a great evening. Thank you. Yo, what's up, everybody? This is Jerome Thornton representing Virtual Hustle Radio. Um, on this week's episode of Is Hip Hop the New Diversity, what we want to speak about is... Who is actually able to speak on our culture? Um, as we can see, there's a whole lot of different things going on in the hip-hop culture: um, success stories, uh, people who are not managing their money properly, um, artist development, music and record labels, um, not being able to pretty much, pretty much have the, have the artist in a monetizing situation to where they're actually being successful, and also the artist, you know, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, one of the main things that brings me up about this is Ebro in the morning uh, and his co-host Rosenberg. Um, and also, I think the ladies the, or the beautiful Cassie and even Ebro. Um, all of these people that I just named and no you know, disrespect to none of them, all of them are not all the way African-American. You know, Ebro is mixed, of course. And of course, you know, he still holds it down. You know, I don't look at a mixed person as not being black. But just for the sake of argument and for how some people are looking at things, um, there's a whole lot of backlash when it comes to that. So with that being said, also, you know, Michael Rappaport, there's a whole lot of uh, podcasts that are out, you know, who strictly focus on the hip hop demographic and hip hop music and actually keep us quite updated upon hip hop situations and hip hop uh, things that are emerging TMZ to be specific. DJ Blad, to be specific. Uh, also, you know, the No Jumper podcast. You know, it's a lot of different podcasts and news outlets that actually come in on our culture. The thing about this is this, right? And this is what brings me to asking the question, is hip-hop the new diversity? A lot of other cultural groups don't have other people... Outside of who they are. Commenting about their struggles. Other groups of people. Outside of who they are. Don't have people giving very very strong. And opinionated. Words. Or news. In regards to who they are. How they dictate things. And what, they, and what should they do. And if they do have other news entities or different areas of media commenting on their on their specific community integration or community situation or music genre nine times out of ten it's in their own it's in their own dialect meaning you know the Jewish group of people they have news outlets in their 9 times out of 10 in their own demographic and a lot of the times in their own language and and if it's written about it's probably also written in their own language script um the same thing with Hispanics in Telemundo they have these areas um and they talk about a whole lot of entertainment and different things such as that but there's no one from the outside of their culture they're speaking on their entertainment scenes. They're speaking on their movie scenes. They're speaking on um, different aspects of their community uh, from a community integration standpoint. So, you know, I find it very, very, I, I, it, it's almost like where the pendulum swings. Because you know what? Anyone can come in on a uh, come in on hip-hop culture. And s- to say some pretty, pretty, um, I would say... I wouldn't say nasty things, but I would say questionable things. And I guess this is when elder hip hop statesmen come about and like, "Hey, who who are these people? And, and 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 who gives you the permission to speak about our culture?" So from the outside looking in, I think that we have been in a situation to where we put on so much, and 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 and, and the makeup of African Americans and especially when it comes down to music, we have been we have taken on so much. We've taken on the the task of civil rights. We have taken on the task of education. We've taken on the task of right now the LGBT community, right? We've taken on that task. We've taken on the task of uh and please forgive me if I had mentioned this earlier, police brutality. You know, we've taken on all of these tasks, so at this point in time, it's a very, very divine scenario to where everyone's involved. And as a result of that, sometimes I feel as though that people just come out of their mouth and can specifically say anything that they want and feel. Uh, the last scenario with this is, you know, is Michael Rappaport, which I think is, you know, a pretty educated, smarter than intelligent guy. But sometimes, you know, I think Mr. Rappaport also takes things out of context. Um, I specifically remember him going in on NeNe Leakes, um, on the Real Housewives of Atlanta. I think he was stepping in for the, you know, for that host. And, um, he was saying some things I was like, whoa, you know, but at the same time, I was thinking to myself, well, if Mr. Rappaport wasn't there nine times out of 10, uh, these conversations were probably going to be had. But just since it was Mr. Rappaport, it was kind of like taken out of context, um, Another different thing is um DJ Vlad. I mean, DJ Vlad has a whole lot of deep diving, uh interesting conversations, but at the same time, you know, it's entirely about our culture. And um, I feel as though what people have came out and um criticized DJ Vlad for what he has conversated about and his actions or what are his motives behind Um, some of the subject matter that he puts out. So, you know, another person in specific is, you know, Andrew Schultz. You know, even though he's part of the Brilliant Idiots, uh, which features Charlemagne the God, and that somewhat gives him a pass, you know, about what he talks about. And I think, you know, Charlemagne needs to have a great dialogue. And I think this is what the Brilliant Idiots is all about. So salute to him about exactly the the hip-hop culture and is there an actual gray area that he just can't speak about okay so and we have to understand how important the hip-hop cultural cultural capital is and shout out to dj academics for putting me on to that you know i'll give him credit for that we have to start to understand how important our cultural credit is you know to The entire world. And I think that once we start to put this spin or this truth about the hip hop culture and about the positive cultural credit that it deserves, then I think that a lot of people will start to be a lot more sensitive to what happens or when they actually speak about the hip hop genre and what it really means. So, as you can see, um, of course. I put out some examples. Some of those have been somewhat extreme. Um, But at the same time, I don't know if if the viewer or the listener can actually view this as extreme. And I'm just going to give you an example. TMZ. Right? I would say a good 50% of TMZ's content has something to do with hip hop or rap or the rap music genre speaking about the musicians um sometimes even the the financial situations people's child support um personal issues as far as their wife and their spouse and what's going on in someone's personal life now really and truly and and, and I would say out of that 55% of the content That TMZ is putting out. I would pretty much say about 95% of that. Is negative content. It has a negative spin on it. And people watch it to you know. To get a more intimate detail of a person's situation. But at the same time. It's almost like. It's devaluing. To the point to where. That you can actually change your mind. Or your idea about what the hip hop culture and for that matter the African American culture is really, really all about. So and I think that one can say the same thing about the content that DJ Vlad is putting out. Now rapper now Michael Rappaport um he is a more diverse person when it comes down to content because he does talk about you know, sports and different things such as that. I mean, he's very, very educated uh, when it comes down to the hip hop culture. But a lot of times, basically he's being seen, I would say, degrading some of the people who we actually hold at a higher standard. So now guess what? I'm going to pull back the layer of what I feel diversity means. And, 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 and why is it so important in certain sectors? Okay. We live in an actual country to where the country's social, economic, and moral factor are intertwined with different religions, race, creed, backgrounds. From a social as well as an economic background. So as a result of that, this is why diversity should be maintained in our society, in our homes, as well as in our businesses. Right. It's very, very important for someone to be educated amongst what their surroundings really, really are and their values should reflect that. Here's the reason why I'm actually breaking this down in hip-hop. Because, and who deserves the right to speak on hip-hop? Because for the most part, hip-hop is largely dominated. The content that comes out, the music, the people, the the social fabric is largely, I would say, 99.9% African-American. Okay? So, as a result of that, If you have people from the outside looking in or not even from the outside looking in, even if that other ninety five point five percent is. People that's from another culture, right? Okay. Can you speak about the hip hop culture? Absolutely. But you better but you better make damn sure that you keep an actual equal dose of what you're putting out. And what you're actually putting into the atmosphere. I don't feel if someone is a part of our culture or is even reporting news or comments or commentary on our culture that they should be able to put out 99 up to 100 percent of bullshit stories just to keep, you know, their viewers going. Okay. now, also what we have to do, and I think this is where a whole lot of people have been coming to our rescue and saying, hey, man, look. Everything that's negative, you got to come come in and do some investigative work. And, you know, if somebody gets shot, you know, you got to come in and get the latest story. And, you know, if somebody is caught cheating, you got to come in and get the latest story. Or if a label is stealing money and the artist is bankrupt, you got to come in and get the, you know, you got to come in and get the latest story. Cool, but I mean, what about the positive things that are going on? You know, what about. Two Chains consistently, you know, year over year, recreating himself and rebranding himself, and this is just for an example, but Two Chains has done this to become more of a self-sufficient artist, and also to become a more self-sufficient businessman. And as a result of his years of maturing, he's finally realized—well, well, I wouldn't say finally realized—he's finally made, made it to the level of maturity, not only in in life but also in hip hop, where he's comfortable to say, "Hey, look." I'm a devoted married man and I have no desire to be out, you know, messing with other women. Don't quote me on the messing with other women part, but I'm just saying. But also, you know, the pretty and trap or or, or, or the the pink trap house and different things like that. I don't see a lot of other. I don't even see um, TMZ maybe ran the story once. The trap house museum, they probably put it on once, but it wasn't like. It was something that's more in-depth, that was consistently talked about. So with that being said, um, I'll let you all be the judge. Can anyone speak on hip-hop? And if they do, should their intentions be, or the hip-hop and rap music genre? And if they do, should their intentions be one-sided? Or should they have an equal delivery of content on a consistent basis that can also uphold and uplift um, everything that the pillars of hip-hop have tried to do since the beginning of inception. At this point in time I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in to Virtual Hustle Radio. Again my name is Jerome. Um, Let me know if you like the channel, um, if you like the content, even if you have bad feedback, please send me a voice message if you would like to um, donate to our channel. You know, we do have sponsored or um, donating options up to $4.95 or 99 cents per month. We would definitely appreciate that if you would like to collab and interview, do a business lunch, please, or, or discuss any other business opportunity. Please reach out to me at virtualhustle77 at gmail.com. I'd like to thank you all again for tuning in and enjoy the rest of your day. Peace and blessings. Yo, what up everybody, this is Jerome Thornton, represent Virtual Hustle Radio and that chicken and Kool-Aid podcast. I know y'all going to hear some noise in the back, man, I'm on the bus riding home, but there's been a whole lot of different things that I've been coming across, I just want to ask our people, you know, do we really want it, or do we want to be lied to? African-American marriage and divorce is it really real? Being able to support black business is it really real? And also building wealth in the United States is it really real? First, I'm going to start with African-American marriages are almost like the cute girl that you've seen in the second grade, and you knew that you wanted her, and she was going to be your best friend for life, but by the time you got to the seventh grade, she noticed Trent. And Trent was just a little bit more trendy, possibly had a little bit more righteousness and thugness to him. At the end of the day, she went with Trent instead of you. It crushed you. It crushed you down to the soul. (laughs) Because your whole world was focused on the second grade person that you had built a whole relationship with until she noticed that there was another option. I'm not gonna put this all on black women. I'm gonna, I'm gonna also have black men to be the blame. Are, are our expectations real? First off, a black man wants his woman to be submissive. He wants her to cook every night, have the best sex, man, nurture his ego. Um, not only that provide money and other shortcomings when he is not doing what he needs to do and still claim that he's the head of the household. Is that really real? Like damn. And then here come these black women. Oh my god. They want a man. They want a man to sit up and listen to their attitude. Call him spineless bitch hope, whatever the situation is when they get mad and then I want this same man to love them unconditionally to uh, get their hair done every two weeks, to take care of their kids if, if, if she brought kids into the relationship also to be a protector and server to the house and, oh, and forget about you being a leader the last word lies with her damn is that really real? So I guess this would be one of the main reasons that our divorce rate is damn near over 55% and that less and less people are being married, but more and more people are being lonely. That is real. <laughs> so when you so when you really ask people what do they want and what their expectations are out of a relationship in today's world, and this is just coming from my own personal opinion. It's not really real. No one wants to sacrifice shit. Everybody wants to treat the other person like. They're just not really a person. And they're just there to. Be their beck and call. So. I say to you. If you're entering an actual relationship. Just understand. That you have to be respective. And. And. I would say be responsible and respective of that person's time and don't take them for granted. Now, what we don't want to take for granted at this point in time is supporting African American business. Everybody's talking about these Popeye sandwiches and KFC with the donuts and Chick fil A and Walmart. But as soon as somebody opens up a black business there is always this uh, what should I say stigma a certain attitude that comes out a plagiarism format of clunking African American businesses into one big category which is number one unreliable number two unsatisfactory, and number three, undeserving of the black dollar. Is that real? Can African Americans support African American-owned businesses? Is that real? First off, I would say yes, we can. Second thing is, is what we were just really talking about is, what is our relationship with black-owned businesses? Do we have a dare I say, false expectation? Or is it, though, that we're willing to keep receiving the same bogus-ass treatment from these restaurants, from the Asians, from the Arabic population, the Hindu population? They don't provide quality service. They don't provide a higher form of customer service. They don't offer discounts. As a matter of fact, they do the exact opposite. They sell us the lowest quality of product possible. You go to any of those businesses in the hood and you'll notice all the knockoff shit that they got up in there. They don't even fold the damn chicken wings when they're serving this shit. But we're so blind to the fact that our dollar is more important than a black person's hand or an African American person's hand. What we'll try to do is we'll try to protest the other people when we're not being treated fairly and to wait instead of saying you know what hey look this is this is this is what I expect of you if you don't have it now give me the best that you have if there is a grocery store that's coming up on the south side that an African American owns Black people will really think that that grocery store should be able to compete with Walmart. Is that real? Or Jewel? Or some other top-tier place? These places are billion-dollar companies. It is no way possible that someone has went through some type of, um, what is this, black credit program. And somehow got $150,000 through Source. That they are coming up with an idea to support or bring back good quality foods to food desert areas in African American communities that they could actually compete with an Aldi or Walmart or Jewel. Our expectations are all fucked up. But then when the numbers come out and when the consumer report says, and in the last, what, 30 years, our spending power has increased almost a trillion dollars and our wealth has decreased, then we start to get mad. We start to ask, well, where's the money going? Genius. Maybe we should write it in crayon. The money's going to everybody else because we're not spending the money with ourselves. That is real. (laughs) Uh, Killer Mike made a very, very... Uh, interesting, ratchet, but intelligent point on the Complex Con forum. T.I., Jay Morrison, Candace Owens. Okay, salute to her. At least she did show up. T.I. tried to drag her, but I'm not in favor for that, but hey, he did what he thought he had to do. But Killer Mike stated that um, for African Americans America was great and this is one of the things that I will keep commenting on my podcast Chicken and Kool-Aid hashtag hashtag, chicken and Kool-Aid no one wants to talk about when Booker T. Washington said the things that African Americans must do he laid out a format that was not only successful that that worked. African Americans were not slaves when Booker T. Washington was the leader. They were vendors. They were business owners. They were multi-millionaires. So when Killer Mike pointed that out, everybody was like, "Whoa!" And he also pointed out that we're just we're free people arguing who is the best master. That is real. But the next, the next thing I'm going to move on to is is it possible for African Americans to gain an economic footprint to actually build wealth in this digital era? The Nielsen Report came out, I would say probably about a month ago, and it stated that African Americans are top consumers of social media, um, anything on a tablet, uh, phone. We have stopped consuming less TV, but we've also increased the amount of time that we are pretty much consuming information right Um, but the number one target to get to us as far as market share is concerned is radio it's at about 92% but the advertising dollar has went down it's a very interesting point uh, for a lot of people that don't know me really and truly I'm a sociologist slash um, how should I say this numbers geek At heart, that's really who I am. I love to study numbers, especially about minorities. And when advertising dollars go down, but our spending keeps going up, that means, number one, to me, that social media is very effective. And number two, that the companies have realized that we're going to spend money on what we're going to spend money on regardless if we market to them heavy or not because we're still going to spend and I guess the reason why I'm talking about is it possible for us to build wealth is because our spending is so enormous that it gets scary that if we get paid some people call living paycheck to paycheck as a a poor person's mind frame but in actuality, it, it goes, I would say, all the way up to the middle class, all the way up to the wealthy. And here's the reason why. First thing is, is that when we get paid, we have to pay our bills. Some people pay their bills first or some people pay those last. Usually on average, I would just say if you're average person, your bills are probably about 60% of your money. Um, according to this report foods were about 53% of what we spent on fresh foods so we're eating healthier so if you're a family of five and you're making about $80,000 a year total you don't have a lot of money to build wealth with right if you're if you're trying to be in the middle class and you, and you have a mortgage um you have bills, cell phone bills. Everybody in the house has a cell phone. It's about 400 there. Your mortgage is about, say, say, for instance, if you live in, you know, mid-south, $700. 2 cars, that's another 800 a month. And then you have to worry about clothes and different things like that. That's where the regular person's mindset is. So investing in life insurance, stocks and bonds, 401ks, a lot of people aren't... They're not simply doing that. Right? So, here's the reason why it takes more. Starting a a business is one of the main sources. Or, actually, another stream of income is one of the main sources of building wealth. And now... Let's think about this just for a moment. African-Americans, some African-Americans, they think that a GoFundMe is a an alternative source of life insurance, especially if the person was known in the community. A lot of people simply don't do it. Also, a lot of people think that if you have insurance on your job, life insurance on your job, that that's sufficient. Coming from an ex-financial uh, advisor, That's simply not true. A lot of people don't know what their net worth is. A lot of people don't know what type of investor they are. So at this point in time, how in the world would they be able to actually make sound investment strategies for their family to build generational wealth? And I had to include that because a lot of times when people pass away, their families... Have been living in the same conditions. For generations. And let me break that down. Some people have been living. In the same. Mental condition. Physical condition. And financial position. Right. And all of this. is a trickle down effect. If you don't change the mentality. In regards to how you spend your money. Right. Hello black men who don't actually invest time to go to the doctor and eat right, then that could actually have an actual effect on your physical and also that's going to trickle down and affect you financially because if you can't work, if you're not healthy, then how are you going to be able to provide? These are things that a lot of people don't understand. So now, if your grandmother was renting a home our apartment. When she passes away, she has nothing to pass down to her grandkids or to her daughter or children. So now, if they're renting and they pass away, what's going on? It's just it's happening from generation to generation. So how how is it that we change this? They, it's it's a known fact that the spending power of African Americans. In the United States, if we were a country, our GDP would be 10th amongst the entire world. Meaning, we could damn near take over Brazil. That's crazy. So, and I'm not gonna get on my social movement kick tonight, but I think that we should try to focus on within the next 20 years at least grabbing about 20% of that do you know how that would affect our community our schools, our roads our children, our future do you know like how dramatic a change that would be we live in a capitalistic society do you know what that would do to our education system our, HS, our HBCUs it would be phenomenal. So I'm asking everybody and here's something to think about. Building black wealth in today's world for African Americans is it real? My name is Jerome Thornton and I'm here to say you know what I think so but if we focus on the right things you could always catch me here Doing my thug, this, my thing, the chicken and Kool-Aid podcast. You know, um, I'm not going to say every night, but I do get busy. All right. So uh, if anybody would like to be a guest on the show, sponsor the show, or even provide me some feedback on what we need to do to get better, you could always give me uh, a quick email at virtualhustle77 at gmail.com or call my line personally. At 224-806-0438. Man, it's definitely been a pleasure speaking with you all this evening. And uh, think about what I said. Hashtag Chicken and Kool-Aid Podcast.